How are you all doing today? This is the Jeff Salgado Show. It is Wednesday, March 11th. Beautiful. It's uh, about 70 degrees in Sacramento. A little cloudy. How you doing, Mike? Doing well, man. How you doing? Good. Just really excited to uh, wrap up part two of the Chris Contos interview. Sweet. Let's get to it. Yep. Here we go. Much expected with a band name like Verbal Abuse. Right. <laughs> but, right. But exactly. uh, so so tell us about Machine Head and how that started. Well, you know that was the era uh, for me where I was like juggling bands. You know, at one point I was in in Verbal Abuse, Grinch, and Attitude Adjustment at the same time. Wow. And uh, I was over that grind, man. That's juggling so many fucking personalities and stuff. I was just like over it. And uh, Rob had been coming to see attitude adjustment huge fan over the years you know and um and he was also super stoked on grinch you know he just thought we were doing some other shit and um that's when he was kind of having his moment with wanting to do different shit with with violence and um at the same time he got a phone call uh from the guys in ministry because I guess one of the guitar players was going in and out of rehab and just, you know, I guess just really blowing it. And they were going to look for another guitar player. And they asked Rob if he would submit some stuff, but he didn't want to send them violence. So he, uh, he gave me a call and he asked me if I'd be down to record a few songs, check out a few songs and record on them. So he can send these songs to, you know, it wasn't even like, hey, you want to be in my band? He was kind of just like, I could grab Chris, get this done, and send off this audition and be in ministry. So um, I said, fuck yeah. And it was the shit, dude. It was like, he played me the songs and I was like, what the fuck? You know? Mm. And then I find out that Joey Houston's their their manager. And uh, this was right before I was going to go to the CMJs in New York and, and try to get Grinch or Verbal Abuse signed. So I went in, it was Death Church, Block, uh, I think Blood for Blood, and uh, shit, I can't remember the fourth song, they it, what it was. And uh, I wrote drum lines, easy as fuck to, I mean, not easy, but I mean, I just, it came out of me, dude. I just, I felt like I knew what the fuck to do with this stuff. Um, they had not played with a drummer at all yet. These song, they did like three man uh, guitar rehearsals for these songs with Logan and Adam. And um, they'd never played with a drummer yet. And it wasn't really the era of the drum machine, so I never heard any drum machine or anything like that or any even drum ideas. And something that struck me with this, the way the songs were written was like, Rob would like say, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a beat like, you know, and I'm like, what about like everything that he wanted fast, I wanted to make danceable. Right. And everything that he wanted to be kind of groove and heavy, I played fast. <laughs> so, I mean, that was that was my formula to that, you know, and I think it really I think it really changed the way the whole fucking package of, of that groove, whatever you want to call it, groove metal style or whatever, street metal, danceable metal, whatever. Um, I think it really did a thing. 
you know, and uh, then I just took off to New York. I, you know, there was no job offer with that right then. They were they were looking to get the guy from Horde of Torment to come out and play drums for him at the time, and I guess he was just at the time just a total flake and never came out. I was in New York because I, I ended up meeting my mom, my dad and my brothers, my half brothers who I had never met before. So I was out in New York for almost seven months, and they got this guy Joey's student from Las Vegas, Tony Costanza, and um, they wrote they wrote a bunch of songs. Um, they were moving forward, and then. Um, Tony just didn't adjust well to the Bay Area, and that's kind of like right when I was coming back. So again, the roadie thing kicks in. Um, I'm out of verbal abuse. I'm out of Grinch. Um, and I start I start doing lights and stage management roadie work for Machine Head. I uh, go on a little mini West Coast tour with them. And I, I mean, straight up, dude, I'm, I'm getting this job. Like at this point... The, the songs are developed. The vibe is happening. This is going to happen. And, um, yeah, Tony just didn't adjust well to, to California and, uh, you know, kind of maybe let his emotions get the best of him at that time and move back to Las Vegas. And I fucking sniped the fucking spot. Nice. And then I just, you know, rewrote a lot of the drum lines and, you know, some of the stuff was really good, you know, where Tony was coming from, but I just, you know, did my thing. And, um, yeah, that was also, again, a very rapid fucking progression. You know, by the time we did the fuck it all demo, um, that was being handed off immediately from Burvoy Kurgan to Monty Connor over the phone. Um, they listened to it twice and then they basically, they signed the machine head unseen. They had never seen us play live and we got signed. Impressive. It was intense, man, because usually you got to go through the whole dance, you know? And, right. Uh, we talked to a few other record labels, and they were playing Soft Soft, you know, Metal Blade, MCA, a couple other albums, or record labels that were just not, they weren't coming the same way, you know? And, and the roster at that time was growing pretty strong for a Roadrunner. And, um, yeah, it came together, and next thing you knew, dude, we were rehearsing like fucking mad dogs, doing real fucking cool shows. Like, our whole thing back then was uh, we weren't going to just play every fucking show that came up. You know, we were going to support national headliners, and that was the mission. And then, you know, Joey helped a lot with that, and California music, you know, and back then at the Omni and the One Step Beyond, and we got those kind of gigs. And it just put a different spotlight on the band, and I think we had something going at that time that was just needed, you know? Right. And um, so, yeah, that thing fucking it blew up. Next thing you knew, we were recording that record, and um, it just went mushroom cloud, dude. That was a 22-month album cycle after that thing came out. You know, getting asked to go on tour with Obituary and Napalm Death was fucking amazing. No one knew who the fuck we were. You know, the record had just come out. And that's a rough crowd. You know, it's a total death metal crowd. Totally. And we're up there and, you know, we're up there in baggies and fucking hockey jerseys and fucking <laughs> cornrows and <laughs> looking all Oakland and, and everything. But, you know, somehow people just, they just took to it, you know. And it was, uh, it 
was intense times, dude. What was the? T- I mean, at, at that time, everything was changing. You know, I mean, the, the the thrash thing really was played out. And yeah. and um, so you were in the band for a little while. I mean, was it just that album? Yeah, I, I, I'm in the band from '92 to the end of '95. You know, me and Rob were just like two fucking rams on the top of a mountain. Right. Uh, and both fucking. You know, suck the fucking air out of the room if we want to, and um, just we're clashing, dude. You know, and you know Adam Deuce and Rob had a real adversarial fucking relationship that was kind of also all-consuming, and uh, it's just we were we were just on different different places in life, dude. And I'm a little, uh, at the time a little bit more jovial, and you know, wanting to have a little bit more fun than taking so fucking dead fucking damn serious, you know? And there was just things we just didn't agree on. And, uh, I ended up getting this reoccurring sickness, which I found out much later, uh, was this impacted salivary gland situation where one of the ports under my tongue was open. So food particles and shit would go in there and I started getting calcified stones. And I was hospitalized uh, like five times with this, during that 22-month album cycle. And it just made me real hostile. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I, you know, just got real caustic, and it just changed my attitude being sick like that. Um, we just started to really fucking go at it, and then it reached ahead in, in Japan, where I was really sick, and my whole side of my head was swollen, and I just wasn't feeling any love or any empathy or sympathy at all about the sickness from them. And I was like, you know what? I got my mom, my wife, all my closest friends for 25, fucking 20 years telling me to come the fuck home. I'm going the fuck home. And, uh, you know, it ended up being a real serious thing, which, which ends up moving, you know, through the rest of my life until 2013 when I had this surgery, you know, and it went all sideways. And that's where the whole BMX thing kicks off and all that. But, um, yeah, it was just, I had to get away from it, dude. It was caustic. It was to- It was super, you know, toxic. And I just, uh, I just couldn't, couldn't deal with that, with the whole, you know, no love situation for somebody being that fucking sick. I was just not down. So, um, that's how that kind of ended. We just did that Burn My Eyes album, you know, and he keeps it going, you know, for 11 fucking records and, you know, it was weird when we got back together for this, you know, I mean. So what was that like? What was the call like? <laughs> well, it, before the call, it was when those two guys quit the same day, Dave and Phil, all my socials, my phone, my phone, my emails, dude, friends, family, colleagues, people I hadn't talked to in years, but my fucking shit blew the fuck off, dude. And, you know, Rob will even say, that it was a unilateral across the board, friends, family, colleagues saying, if you guys don't fucking celebrate that fucking album and the 25th anniversary and the reverence and how that record's revered and what the game changer that record was, you guys are fucking idiots on levels that are fucking not even measurable, you know? And we all got that. I mean, I had people telling me, go get your fucking job back, call Rob now. Uh, this is fucking destiny and fate fucking slapping you in the mouth, both of you. And um, I just waited. I waited a week or two, and I, I knew it was fucking coming. I totally knew it was coming. 
and uh, Joey called. And me and Joey have remained close over the entire time. Joey, Very close. Joey Houston? Yeah. Right. And um, so there was that always, there was always that portal. I was always like, okay, there's still this fucking drawing connection. You know, and I mean, nothing for nothing, dude. You do an album like that, it becomes your fucking legacy. It becomes what you're known for. You can still be humble about it. But you got an awareness, you know, you, you fucking laid the smack down on a record. You've done 27 fucking records and nobody gives a shit really, but there's your stuff, you know? Right. So, so we, he asked me if I'd be willing to talk and I was like, fuck yeah, you know? And we went and had a five hour fucking dinner and we laid it all out there and really he said some really surprising fucking things to me that i never thought that he would have felt and likewise you know vice versa and um that's awesome yeah it was a trip dude i mean because down inside when someone say hey i heard rob talk shit about you i'd be like fuck that guy right but inside, dude honestly i was like i wish i could fix this sure. you know like talk about not giving the tools to fucking really fucking handle something you know for years you know and he was telling me that, you know, he wanted to do this on the on the 10 year and he wanted to do it on the 20 year, but it just was not happening with the members in the band. We're just not down to have me and Logan come up at some point in the show or, you know, so that really surprised me. I was like, damn, fuck, like, you know, and we just knew that all of our shit that we felt about each other was, you know, not really compartmentalized correctly and we have a chemical bond musically and the thing that we do when we, when we drop the same way, we fucking anticipate riffs the same way. We, we kind of ramp up. At the, that's why we don't play to a click on all the songs because there's some kind of untangible magic that happens um, that a click just fucking ruins. Now, a lot of the songs sound fucking balls to the click, dude. Just amazing. But, um, we're aware that we do something special, you know, and then you add Logan into that. So, yeah, dude, it's been cathartic as fuck, bro. And just really like, I mean, I've said it before, if, if it would have been just a dinner to exercise that fucking black tar out of our bodies and to just finally fucking at 50 something years old say, fucking, I don't want this shit I pushed down when I was in my 20s in me anymore, I would have been all in on that meeting. You know, sans the fucking greatness of going, being able to go out on the tour, you know? Right. Because we need that shit, dude. You know, we need to get rid of stuff in life. And you carry baggage. You don't realize how much you've toughed out or how much something affects you until you're, until you're assessing all that damage in, in your older, wiser years. Right. I remember, I remember I was going through some, like, hardcore stuff, and, and you had a good a term on it when I was going through my therapy to to get clean and straight you said you said something that was like pretty sweet you're all you're doing the big boy fight and that's what that is that's the big boy fight when you you check your ego you get yeah. you get real and you you yeah. get with another person you get as real as fuck and remember who you guys were right right and own your shit you know like right. own your stuff man like the whole own it thing is huge you know all these there's all these cliches you know people roll their eyes and, and then you realize you're knee deep in some of these cliches and you're like wow okay this is actually <laughs> fucking real absolutely um, yeah so it's just been it's been amazing dude i mean the tour has been fucking insane i was not ready for the veracity of their fans of europe dude i mean committed 
heartfelt fucking shit that people feel about that band dude we played to eighty six thousand people in 24 shows over there that's fucking nuts you know so i mean the shows were huge and we got fucking pyro and fuck you know because i was like look you know one big part of me coming back to this band is fire and they fucking cracked up dude they're like are you talking about pyro i'm like fuck yeah i'm talking about pyro bro I was like, you know, you say fucking, it's burn my eyes. You say fucking nation on fire. You say burn motherfucker burn. You fucking, we're saying this shit, you know. We never gave the fucking stage its proper due with this fucking band as far as burn my eyes go, you know. Right. And um, so he cracked up, but then I didn't realize the connotations of that were like, they never had pyro before. And he just immediately included me in, like, set design and fucking, like, tapped my fucking, you know, rock knowledge, you know? And that was awesome, dude. That clarity that's come with this and the, the transparency and um, being involved in, in stuff and lighting design and and the pyro design and shit, dude. It's, it's, it's bonded me and Rob, dude, We, you know, in a really cool way where we're like got this mutual respect and this like high five fucking badass fucking vibe now you know and it's it's cool man it's been really fucking cool i was saying that on my last podcast how your guys's stage set was unbelievable the whole thing the the banners the lighting rigs everything yeah. and and just the work that you guys put into this is insane because yeah i mean three hours <laughs> yeah. we are, we a night yeah, the longest set we played was in Dublin. It was three hours, 48 minutes. Fuck. You know, and Rob's a fucking beast, bro. I've never seen anything like it. And I challenge <laughs> any fucking singer, 15 years old to fucking 59, to fucking get up there and try to do that. You no know way. I mean? Unbelievable. Him and Jared are up there night after night, dude. I mean, he only, he had to get fucking really, really sick to not to cancel you know we had to cancel two shows on this u.s leg uh pontiac michigan and, and minneapolis but that was based on being fucking sick dude not just like i feel like a little sick but like fucking deadpan sick we're getting ivs we're getting fucking doctors out on the road i mean it was wow. it was gnarly and um you know i've never seen anything fucking like what rob does dude and it's 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 ferocious, you know. And then it's a real challenge for the kids too, and the fans because, uh, oh, I call everybody kids, by the way, uh, <laughs> uh, because their their demand on them, dude, is from fucking house lights drop till the end of the set. They are on fuck being berated by Rob to fucking kick ass, you know. And that's not how a normal show progression goes, dude. You have know, first band, nobody knows them. Second band, fucking my friends said they're cool. Let's watch them for a minute. Fourth band is a supporter and people like them. And then the headliner comes on and the place pops. Right. These people have barely put their fucking phones away. They've just stuffed their ticket in their pocket and they're, you know, balancing a beer and it's like house lights and fucking go. I want to see fists fucking in the air. Yep. You know, and it's like, goes off and, and we watched some towns just could not fucking take it i mean by the time we were three songs left two songs left we're like yeah they're beat they're totally fucking beat you know and uh other places you know just went fucking crazy all fucking night like we played in albuquerque and there was probably like 70 percent american indian navajo mm -hmm. contingency you know yeah 
and it was fucking incredible, dude. I mean, it was fucking incredible. They were fucking out of their fucking minds, bro. And it was just, you could just see that there was something else about what this fucking shit, what any metal show means to them, you know? And, um, you know, you see some poor kid, you know, they barely got in probably, you know, or, you know, scammed and hustled to fucking get into the gig, you know, and that kind of shit means a lot, you know, and then we met all these people, like all these, you know, armed forces people, dude, that come with these stories of their tours and how metal was the only thing that fucking got them through, you know, two trips to fucking Iraq and in Afghanistan or whatever, you know, and then you got all these people coming with their kids, you know, I haven't seen the band in 23 years. Here's my 23 year old son, me and your wife met, me and my wife met at Slayer Biohazard Machine Head. You guys blew our minds. We didn't go buy merch from Slayer. We bought your merch and here's the t-shirt I bought. And it was just like, whoa, all these rewinds. And Okay, I got I to gotta ask you something. What was that like when you guys did the... Uh... When you were with Slayer, when you guys were touring with Slayer, and you did the live intrusion, and you guys did yeah. uh, the Venom song, uh, Witching Hour. Oh, how, how, that specific moment? Yeah, because that was, okay, well, I remember seeing that on a fucking VHS that I'd bought, and I was yeah. like, holy shit, that was so I badass. Thought, at that point, Slayer had never brought a guest on stage, had never interrupted a Slayer gig with anybody on the outside, said another band's name from the stage. You know what I mean? They right. were just Slayers, it, you're fucking still booing the band when we come on, fucking, like, you know. <laughs> um, so they approached us, and we'd already done the full fucking European leg, and this was the last night of the uh, American tour, and they came in and told us, like, everything about what they were going to do, like, We've got NFL films coming to film us, 13 camera shot, um, told us the parameters of sound check were gonna be different, stuff like that. You guys are gonna have to work with us and no practical jokes. They were like, do not fucking put dildos on stage or hit us with ping pong balls. Like they were really made it like, don't. I know it's the last night. They pull me and Rob aside, and it's Carrie and Tom, and they're like, yeah, we want you to come out and sound check today, and we're going to go through a few songs. We want you guys to come up on stage and play with us. So I was like, okay, this is a, this is a practical, practical joke now, right? <laughs> right? You're like, no like, you know, this, is the, this whole thing has been a big setup for a practical joke. And um, we're going to get punked at fucking sound check is what's going to happen. So... They tell us they want to play because they had just recorded with uh, Ice T UK eighty uh, two, the old Exploited song, and they had just done an Ice T Slayer mashup. So they, they we, we wanted to do that. They wanted us to try that, and then they wanted Wishing Hour, and then there was one other song. I can't remember, but it did neither. Neither of the other two songs worked, and Wishing Hour was bad as fuck. So nothing happens, you know, we don't get fucking rubber shit thrown at us or anything. So we're like, okay, this is fucking really going to happen. So me and Rob go to the bus, we rehearse, time comes, get on side stage, we're all ready, ready to go. And I look over at Rob and I'm like, you know, this has never fucking happened at a Slayer show before, right? There's nobody's ever interrupted the vibe of fucking the Mighty Slayer, dude. This is fucking crazy. And he's like, dude, I'm shitting myself, dude. This is fucking insane. <laughs> and, uh... Hanneman fucking hands fucking Rob hit the guitar with the attitude adjustment peace sign on it, right? Right. And, um, 
you know, I'm like, oh shit, you're playing that one? And he's like, oh fuck, you know? And so, and then the roadie comes over and gets me and he goes, come on, let's go up here back, back. And I want to show you how you get up onto the stage under the gong and all that shit. So, boom, we're up there and we're playing, dude. And I'm just like, this is fucking nuts. And I'm like sledgehammering the fucking kid, dude. I mean, I was fucking beating the fuck out of those drums. And uh, Rob and, you know, Tom are having this interaction and it was fucking badass. Now, the only freaky thing about it was that I had never on that entire tour, both legs, played with any of the fucking strobing or the icon lighting. Oh, shit. I thought I was going to have an epileptic seizure, dude. Yeah. I mean, fucking, there was so much light because we had yellow and red. Right. Uh, that's what we got. Park hands, you know, that's openers, blues, three foot, you know, three feet of stage. So to be in the full scope of the fucking stage was, you know, insane. And then it was over. And then after the show, we had a huge party and fucking laughed about it. And then they told us that it's going in the video. And yeah, dude, it was, um, it was a fucking honor and just a total fucking treat, you know? And, like, I'll never forget that, obviously, because it's out there in the world. But on top of it, just the energy leading up to it and just, how, like I said, how much of an honor it was, you know? For sure. It was amazing. So, uh, yeah. were you guys, do you guys got any touring coming up besides what you've done? Yeah, so um, we did the first leg of Europe, then we did the States. And um, then we're going back April... 10th for pre-production and we start April 19th um, uh, through June 6th which is like you know uh, Russia, Bulgaria Scandinavia Portugal, Spain more France, more UK uh, yeah just you know, more, uh, just everywhere that we missed pretty much and then doubling up back on places that were glaring you know more German dates uh, more Danish dates, uh, you know, Finland, Norway, uh, Stockholm, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's a long one. And then, um, potentially a second leg of the United States, because there was like a lot of, you know, if you look at the tour dates, you're like, well, what about, what about Philly? And what about right. St. Louis and, you know, all these tweeners. So that was just about availability and timing. So do that. And then end it off, you know, round it off with, um, you know, hopefully Japan, Australia, New Zealand run all in one week, two week pe period, and then boom. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so sick. You know, I think me and Rob are going to record some music with Logan. You know, really? The, the, the BME lineup. Yeah, he's already tossed some riffs at me and stuff that are right in my wheelhouse. Oh, and I'm dude. Like, oh, fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. That is killer. Can't wait. That's uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, there's nothing set in stone, but that's what he's been doing, you know. And that's you know, we kind of talked about how that would be fucking great. A lot of people are asking for it, so you know, we're in the age of singles, brother. Yep. You know, and the um, the record is gonna start to go bye bye because right. it's, it's too much to take on, you know. And going for one motif, the album cover, the whole fucking smear, pushing it on one fucking plateau is just. It's just not the way people take their music anymore, man. And it's the entertainment industry. They're putting their hard-earned fucking entertainment dollar into your music. So the customer fucking wants it this way. You kind of got to adhere to it. You know what I mean? Right. You know? Okay, well, we got any uh, any final thoughts? Anything you want to say to anybody? Uh, 
No, just fucking the, the main thing that, that I'm thinking tripping on lately is how fragile our culture is right now. And um, it's going to have to be like I just mentioned the customer and the consumer. Um, it's going to have to be a concerted effort to wake the fuck up a little bit and realize how cost prohibitive all of this is. Um, I think it's really important that maybe in these kind of settings, these podcast settings, you know, it's cool to reminisce and talk about the, the kick-ass times and, you know, all that. But at some point, I think some of the brass is going to have to get together with some of the youth in the, in the scene right now who are able to do the, the social media aspect and the, the way they push music now mixed with the old $500,000 tour advance with the porn budget and the tour bus and the fucking, you know, that whole mentality. Right. Um, we got to come together and have some kind of a symposium or something because um, the whole campfire, I, I grew up sitting around the elder statement of the scene, listening to what they were doing and how they were doing it and then like following suit. And I don't think there's a transfer of information right now amongst bands and um, a lot of confusing aspects to the industry and a lot of people who are coming in as adults into the music industry thinking that the cream dream is still there. Right. And it's just really not. Nope. And then on the same token, trying to get this information to the consumer, dude, because the consumer doesn't wrap its head around, like, let's say a band like Gamma Bomb wants to come here. They're looking at fifteen to $22,000 in fucking visa fees and carnet fees alone. Right. National pay across the board at clubs right now from and this is from Beyonce to fucking Havoc is about fucking 350 bucks. Seriously. That's the pay. That's what bands are basically on average being paid. So it doesn't even fucking pan out. You do 50 fucking shows in the United States. That's going to cost you fucking 30 grand. Pretty much. You know? And so the consumer just doesn't understand how fucking expensive all this is. And, um, you know, that's why T-shirts are 40 bucks, dude. That's why fucking hoodies right. are 85 fucking dollars because you're buying the, le the, the last two albums we put out in the hoodie. Yeah, we had this discussion on uh, what the Rage Against the Machine issue when everybody's complaining about how high their ticket prices yeah. are. But I'm like, dude, <laughs> you got all their music for free now. Everybody's music at that. <laughs> you know, like, how can you blame this band? Who knows they're going to be able to do it, so why wouldn't they? You know? Yeah, dude. I mean, the numbers, dude, the cost and the numbers for the Machine Head Tour, dude, are fucking staggering. Blow fucking minds. Like, you know, and, and that's that's Armana Moss. That's fucking any of the bands that are out right now, dude. Right. Everybody, everybody is spending way more money than they're making, bro. There is no cash cow right now. Nobody is flossing fucking cash off of anything. Everybody is committed to making it. You know, bands... Uh, the, the Exodus Testament Death Angel Barrier Strikes Back or whatever man that's that's a hard and expensive fucking tour to pull off and it's you know it's, it's gotta you know we just gotta make sure that the customer isn't too flippant about what they're getting you know right the fact that people don't wait in the rain for tickets anymore or you know wait in huge lines at the Tower Records for records to come out or go digging in shops like the record exchange or the vault you know it, it, I think it's really hurt the dynamic of how people take and love and 
how music affects them. Well, everything's on your phone now. It's all convenience, right? What did? Uh, Everything's convenience based, bro. The, 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 JF, uh, the Dead Kennedys album, right? Give me convenience or give me death. That's so prevalent yeah. today. Yeah, we're there. I mean, right. we're completely there. So, yeah, just everybody be cognizant of fucking how delicate our culture is, man. We, we've, you know, we've got something fragile. Absolutely. Right now. And it needs to be built up, you know? I mean, look, me and you talked about, like, record sales for post fucking you know new thrash bands and stuff dude those those records don't sell dude but everybody's got it right there's something wrong there dude there's just something wrong there right it's everybody's working for free to entertain people just to to get some kind of notoriety but it really it's like and then you know you go play a show and well i'm sorry i'm busy i don't got anything to do it's i got something to do you know it's just it's a big wheelhouse of fuck you you know you're the artist work for me maybe you'll get some promo when it's like dude if you only knew how much work it takes you know yeah. it's, it's insane yeah so yeah that would be my that would probably be what my my thing is just we've all got a responsibility to fucking really kick down the truth about all this and like a lot of bands are afraid to fucking like talk about any of that stuff because they want to keep the whole puff piece going you know right they don't want to rock the boat. Starts to line up with like leased cars and leased gold chains and big stacks of printed money in the hip hop world. You know, <laughs> yeah. so you, don't, you don't own any of that shit, bro. You're fucking lying right now. And, right. You know, you, you can't put contacts and makeup and high heels on fucking the, the truth. You know what I mean? You can't doll it up. You know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still just lipstick on a pig. You know, and it's like. We've got a responsibility here to kind of share the fucking goods with everybody. Seriously. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, thanks for coming on the show and venting yeah. and telling us everything, your history and all of that. We really appreciate it. Oh, dude. My pleasure, dude. You know, I love you, and fucking I'm stoked you're doing this, dude. These, these podcasts are important, I think, right now. Hell yeah, likewise. Okay. All right, man. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Contost. Thank you very much. Right so he had some really good talking points on that, Mike. What did you think about that? I totally agree. Some of the things that he was saying at the end there kind of rang home for me simply because I read this article about two weeks ago. Let me fucking find this shit. This was off, I believe, Metal Injection. So hold on one second, people. Let me pull this up. Here we are. According to a report from Music Business Worldwide. Now, remember, this article is off of Metal Injection. Major labels make about $1 million per hour from streaming. Made an hour. Consequence of Sound further points out that Vivendi, Sony Corp, Warner Music Group, they make about $22.9 million a day, resulting in the $1 million figure above per hour. To put that in perspective, every second they make about $278. Every second. So 20 seconds went by. And this is talking about this. Right. That's how much money they fucking made each well, second. Well, this is Sony, and you got to take into consideration how many artists do they have out there that are making music and then exactly. streaming music as well. So, even regardless, it has taken a hit compared to what they used to make with material product. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a major label. You know, the major labels are, they're going to take everything, they're going to monopolize, they're going to buy up all the smaller uh, labels and. Pretty much just, it's all about acquisition. It's a business. It's huge. And it just goes back into that point now where the society around music has changed. 
where artists could still make money back in back in the day. You can hashtag Boomer that if you want. Versus now, where the only way the artists can make money is to go on tour with their merch and charge like what Rage Against the Machine's doing, three hundred bucks a ticket. It's the only way they can recoup all that cost. And like Chris mentioned that in his interview, the bands are still they have so much cost to put on that show that people want the demand that people want to see they want to see they want the music they want the demand they have that demand for the music they have the demand for the show they have the demand for the for the band to get out there and go to all these towns so they can see them but you only pay 14 bucks a month for all that fucking music well, I think he had a good point. It's like it's it's got to be somewhere where the consumer and the artists and the labels all meet in the middle because this ain't working out. I mean, pretty soon you're going to have just artificial music. It's all that's going to be ready for you. Um, this Everything's changing, and it's going to keep changing. And, you know, in a sense, it's evolving, and it's not necessarily evolving into a good thing. It could evolve into a bad thing, and that's kind of what we're seeing as far as the artists. I mean, people don't take into consideration how much work it goes into making music it's insane and everybody just expects it like well hey you got a side band you know i know you got a day job like make it happen it's like you know what (laughs) if you have a if you have a day job that just pulls away from you being able to make your craft as good as it is right and i don't know a person that doesn't and and unless unless they're touring 200 shows a year and done time away from their family and whatever they got you know it's it's a it's a brutal exchange. I mean, yeah, you know, if you've signed up for that and you've been lucky enough to be on a major label that's actually putting out that product, you know, that's making that kind of revenue, good luck. I mean, hey, kudos to you. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Congratulations. Right, really. exactly. And, and, and enjoy it. But it's so rare. I mean, it is phenomenally rare. The numbers are just staggering on how many people just literally pay music to pay money to play music. It's insane. How much you lose? I don't think very many bands even go into the black. Most of them probably stay in the red right. quite a bit. Uh, Bitters played a show with a touring band a couple weeks ago, and I actually had to like tell the audience, like, you need to really consider, and I didn't say it like as lame as I'm saying it right now, but it's like, go over there and buy some of their merch. If you enjoy any part of their show, go over there and buy some merch, because it's not going into their pocket. It's going into their gas tank. That's how much they're making on this tour. Like this is this is them barely making it to the black now. Right. And you know, that's 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 part of why we do it is before the love, that's where the sacrifice comes in. Why do bands still do this because they love playing music? I mean, there's you live for the 30 to 45 minutes on stage. I mean, yeah. that is that's what it's all about. So you got to take in consideration these people that are doing this doing sacrificing everything in their lives to make it happen just for you to be entertained i mean you know relish it because it it, you know when it's gone it's going to be gone and you're going to be like man remember those days i mean it's it's fleeting and you guys really got to keep it afloat it's up to the consumers the listeners of this show love music obviously if you don't then you know maybe you might want to go check out fox sports but or stick around and learn about music right and just the inside perspective because that's what this all is i mean Everybody can see the outside. It's everywhere. But on the inside, it's it's a lot different story. I mean, the, the glitz and glamour, it's it's an illusion, you know, mostly. Unless you're fucking on a scale that's unimaginable, like yeah. Beyonce or Rihanna. Jay-Z or whatever yeah. the fuck that is. And we're just not about that. It's We like to keep it down with the people, down with the real world. 
my band Psychosomatic has always been DIY. We just recently got signed, but you know we're lucky. You know we we got some really good uh, a good friend that stepped up to help us, and we were really desperate. And it's it's a it's a it's a hard way to uh, conduct your band in this day and age for everybody. So we understand the struggle is real, and support just keep supporting each other. Keep going to shows. I'm going to a show tonight, so you know it just. Even on weeknights when I'm hating life, I try to find something to do, you know, something to, to help out and give back, because that's what it's all about, a cyclical. Anyways, thank you all for listening to the Jeff Salgado Show with Mike Boyd. Uh, stream, follow, share, like, subscribe. We appreciate everything. So thank you very much. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.